We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So on page, right, page two, it's chapter 19, uh, uh, paragraph two, or Midrash number two. Um, that's We're going to get to Midrash number two, yeah, right now, So because we... Uh, um, we talked last week um, about the uh, the essence of the snake. We're gonna um, uh, now get sort of like deeper into the story. But I just wanted to recap a little bit about last week. So uh, among the things that was discussed last week was um, the the nature of the snake or the serpent. Um, you know, I think he's translated usually as serpent rather than snake because he's not like a snake that you know as as we kind of know and identify snakes, although the term nachash is the Hebrew for snake. So, um, uh, I think it's, you, you know, people translated as serpent to showcase that this was not a, you, you're not your, you know, garden variety snake. Um, uh, but, uh, but anyway, so I might interchange snake and serpent, whatever. Um, but, uh, but so the, the text says that the, uh, nachash haya arum, Mikol ha-chaya. Hold on, let's get the actual words. Nachashaya arum. Mikol chayat hasadeh asher asad and Elohim. So the the serpent was more uh, was was arum uh, uh, above all of the animals of the field that the Lord God had made. Um, so we were talking yesterday about what that uh, yesterday last week about what what that meant what what uh, you know, the sort of nature of the of the snake um, because it's you know again where it's not sort of a garden variety snake what does it mean that it, that the serpent was more arum than uh, than all the other uh, animals that uh, that that God had made the term arum. Uh, was used in the previous verse, uh, so the, the last verse of chapter 2, and this is the first verse of chapter 3, the word arum is used in the last verse of chapter 2 uh, to refer to uh, to Adam and Eve, uh, so that they were, that uh, they, that uh, the Adam um, that they were, that they were arumim, which the translation usually renders as naked. And they weren't ashamed of it. Um, but here, arum does not mean naked. It means uh, clever or, or sly or tricky or something like that. Um, and so the, the truth is that, uh, and this is the conversation that I had with, with uh, Zach, who's, uh, who just celebrated his son's bris uh, uh, like moments ago. Um, so I'm surprised that he actually wrote me back about this because I wrote to him on the day that his son was born. Uh, with the question we had from last week, took him a few days to get back to me, but he did. Uh, so what he said was that uh, that the uh, usage of arum uh, to talk about nakedness is actually a really unusual usage of the of the term. Uh, and he said that uh, linguistic scholars debate um, uh, uh, whether it comes from uh, whether what root it comes from. So it could be from the root ayin reshe ara. 
um, which commonly in biblical usage means nakedness, uh, but it is, um, uh, there's whole sections in Leviticus that talk about erva, erva tavicha, erva timecha, the nakedness of your mother, the nakedness of your father, you're not supposed to uncover. Um, but, uh, but, but the, the, uh, conjugate of it, of, of arum, or arumim, is very unusual, if that would be the, the, the uh, roots used. The other option he said uh, was um, that um, uh, let's see, hold on. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so other, he says, others punt. Uh, the, the, there's an otherwise unattested verb, aram. Ayn resh man being the root to be naked. So, in other words, this is that, the, not so much with the, with the, where the verse, nachash haya arum. That is pretty clear what it means, that he was shrewd or clever or something like that. Um, but, uh, but what is being talked about for Adam and Eve is the part that's a little bit unclear. Um, so I suggested to him that I thought that maybe what it was saying, that maybe people had just been translating it wrong, right? And that it didn't mean that they were naked and therefore ashamed, that they were, that they were also clever, right? Or shrewd in the same way the snake was. So he said, uh, possible, but then you'd run into problems with the, with what to do in chapter three, verse seven, verse 10 and verse 11, where you have Irem, uh, which clearly means nude or naked, uh, in, in other places too. So I had to like kind of dig into this a little bit more and then I'm going to have to write a paper on my theory. Um, uh, but what he says about it, what he points out about it, which a lot of the, um, uh, a lot of the modern interpreters point out is that the, that, uh, it seems like the Bible is going for wordplay here. And it's sort of like a, um, uh, one of the classic examples of biblical wordplay, which happens quite a bit. The Bible kind of like likes to, to, um, uh, play around with, with words and use puns and things like that, especially in like naming of places and getting people's names. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, you know, and, th- and then also the rabbis kind of pick up on that theme too, because they like to kind of like use words in creative ways. The Hasidic tradition much later picks up on that theme tries to use words creatively, uh, but the Bible definitely doesn't. So, the, so in, in sort of like modern biblical interpretation or criticism, uh, this is, you know, like a, a, a classic example to modern critics of biblical wordplay of Arumim in chapter two, verse 25, I think it is. And then in our, our room in, in chapter three, verse one, remember also that that chapter and verse numbers uh, are a relatively recent innovation. Um, that uh, uh, they were, uh, it was essentially a uh, Christian innovation. Um, so the uh, so the chapter and verse numbers that we have are not inherent to the to uh, to to biblical text. Um, and so you, I mean, one way of one way of noticing that is how. Parshiot, the weekly Torah portions, don't always follow um, the beginning of a of a of a new chapter, right? And uh, you would think that they would. Um, that does, uh, but that doesn't happen. You know, the Torah portion Noah, you know, starts in the middle of a chapter, um, or like three verses into a chapter, or something like that. Um, so, uh, so that's just one example. Uh, you know, there are some obviously that do track with the beginning of a new chapter. The portion after Noah, Lech Lecha, begins chapter 
12, I think. Um, so sometimes it does. So sometimes the chapters are logical in that in, in that same way, uh, but sometimes that's not how Jewish tradition kind of marks the uh, marks the breakup of the stories. And you know, remember traditionally, uh, if you look in a Torah scroll, there's not not only are there no uh, chapter or verse notations, but there's not even punctuation, right? So you don't always know where one verse ends and one verse, one verse begins. Um, so here, you know, you essentially have two verses, one right after the other, right? It only looks like there's a big separation between them because of the more recent innovation of chapter numbers. Um, so it makes the wordplay even more stark when those verses are kind of like one right after the other. Uh, and anyway, our, uh, uh, so uh, our Midrash uh, kind of takes this idea of you know uh, the the Bible uh, talking about the snake and trying to give us a little bit more detail uh, or information from their perspective about like who and what this snake was uh, and what he was trying to do uh, uh, in, uh, in in encouraging uh, Eve to eat from the fruit and among the things that uh, that uh, um, the portion suggests uh, is that. Um, he uh, uh, wanted to get uh, uh, Adam to Adam to sin because he was jealous and wanted Eve for himself um, as one of the uh, uh, options that are entertained. Um, another option is that the is that the um, is that the serpent was uh, was a sort of like towering figure, not physically towering, but a like a, uh, like a great person, right? Or a great thing. Um, it was like the king of the beasts at that time, uh, and uh, and the the you know the sin was sort of like as much uh, or maybe more his downfall than the uh, than the humans' downfall. Uh, in some in some cases, maybe actually you could make an argument that it elevated the you know at first the snake was the was uh, the top of the food chain, right? Maybe not literally the food chain, but like in the hierarchy of creatures, right? Snake was the shrewdest of all the creatures that God had made, which maybe includes the human beings, right? And then the it, after the transgression, the snake is demoted, the human beings are promoted, right? Uh, could be. Um, uh, and uh, and anyway, so, and then uh, my favorite is that, like, the, the snake was kind of like the Roomba, um, you know, so, like, you, you could, like, send it out, but then it would, like, come back to home base, right? Um uh, uh, you could carry a lot, but he came back. Okay, all right. So that's that's the uh, that's the snake. So why don't we close this? So we're not uh, getting the background noise over there. I'm gonna just turn the air conditioning down one degree. If it gets cold, let me know. Um, okay. So the next uh, the next uh, uh, the next verse, uh, which will begin the next midrash. Um, or actually not the next part of the verse, I should say. So uh, so we get introduced to the snake. He's very shrewd. And the Yomer El Ha'isha, he says to the woman, Av ki amar Elohim lotochlu mikol etzagat. Which usually is translated as, uh, as he says to the woman, Did God really say to you, don't eat from any tree of the garden? Uh, the phrasing is kind of interesting, just as an aside. It's, you know, af ki amar Elohim. Af usually means, like, even, right? So, did God even say to you, uh, you should not eat, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Um, 
that's usually to, to make it a little bit more contextually uh, meaningful. Did God really say this to you? Um, which, of course, God did not say to, first of all, God didn't say anything to the woman at all about what to eat or what not to eat. Um, but God said to the man, we, we saw this verse, God said, you can eat of any tree in the garden except for one. Right, except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Right, so he's asking her a question that's um, that, that's premised, uh, that, that's based on a false premise. Um, whether whether he's, you know, uh, uh, actually unaware of what God told him and didn't tell them? No, but uh, presumably because it's, inter- you know, it's, it's introduced with, he was very shrewd that this is him trying to, like, lure her into a trap of some kind. All right, so now let's look at Midrash number number two. Someone want to read for us today? All right, yeah, sure. And he said to the woman, If perhaps God say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And she said, Surely So that's a, that's a, that's, a, that's wordplay, right? So the word off uh, means even, right? Or, or in this case, you know, perhaps or really, right? And off also means, is a nose. Uh, but in the biblical idiom, um, uh, off is uh, usually used for, uh, for anger too, um, like, like the flaring of the nostrils, Right, um, so God is sometimes described as erechapaim, which is the opposite of that, which is like long in the nostrils, uh, uh, right? And, and so chareaf um, uh, uh, is the is the other way, is like hot nosed, like if you imagine like a, a bull, you know, snorting, right, flaring its nostrils because he's angry. So that's that's the association between the word off, which means nose, and 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 the idiom meaning anger. Okay, so here wordplay, right? People, uh, there are four times that uh, people introduce their statements with off, and every time they're destroyed because of God's anger, or anger. And these four are they, the serpent, the chamberlain of the bakers, the Pharisees, and prisons of Joseph. The assembly of Korah and Amar. All right, we got four characters that fit into these categories. The serpent, we already know about. The chamberlain of the bakers of Pharaoh. Who is he? Good. The baker that was in prison with Joseph. The baker and the butler, I guess it was. Sometimes he's called the butler, sometimes he's called the wine steward. It's the same job, just different titles, yeah. Um, so, or the cupbearer sometimes, uh, right? These two characters that are imprisoned with Joseph in, in later in Genesis, and Joseph interprets their dreams. The cupbearer, wine steward, whatever, uh, is uh, restored to uh, to Pharaoh's graces, and eventually uh, rem- uh, rem- uh, tells Pharaoh about Joseph uh, and his dream interpreting ability. But the butler, uh, sorry, the baker. Uh, is executed. Okay, so okay, that's the baker. Good. Uh, the assembly of Korah. Who were they? 
this is one of the challenge. The challenge to privilege of Moses to be the priest. I mean, the, the, when he said that um, Moses was chosen his brother to be the priest, and first he was also from he was a cousin of yeah. mm-hmm. and he was challenging Moses, saying that why he was choosing them, and I mean that like he was lying, that like he was just using right. Good, good. The, the the nature of the grievance is a little bit unclear in in, in Korach's case. But you're probably right uh, um, that uh, you know challenging challenging Moses's right to uh, leadership and and essentially claiming uh, uh, staking his claim uh, for for his right to uh, to be the leader. Uh, but he's yeah he's Korach is Moses's cousin uh, and. Um, and leads a rebellion in the wilderness, uh, and so the assembly of Korach are like the people who were gathered uh, with and, and supported uh, Korach in that rebellion. Uh, uh, what happens to them? Good. The earth opens up and swallows them up. Uh, good. What? They were gone. They were gone. And uh, and then finally, Haman. Who was Haman? Good story of Esther, villain of the story of Purim. Excellent, uh, uh, and he also uh, met a grisly end. Okay, <laughs> all right, go ahead, Nancy. The serpent takes place in our verse. He speaks to the woman. He's perhaps God saying, "He says, Chamberlain of the bakers in his face. Also, I in my dreams." Okay. Good. So, what do these four characters have in common, and what can we learn from their commonality? I guess more to the point, like, what do we learn about the snake from his from the snake's association with these characters? Yeah, I mean, it, the, the Midrash doesn't come out and say these characters are like each other, but it does sort of imply that there's a, that there's a common thread, there's a linguistic common thread between these characters and a narrative thread between them. Yeah. It says there were four who um, were subsequently ruined through anger. Right. So they do. So, so what, what do these characters have in common, and what can we learn about the snake from their commonality? Hmm. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that you could read it that way. That the reason that they that they you know that their their downfall was rooted in anger. I read it. I read it personally as uh, that uh, that they you know that their that the negative consequences that they met with were a result of someone's anger, either God's anger or in the in the baker's case, the Pharaoh's anger, um, in Haman's case, the king's anger. Like conniving, you mean? Like conniving? Conniving. Um, I'm one. I yeah. So the, uh, so how are they conniving? Well, okay. So uh, Haman, text ever says what the baker does. Like, what, what, why the baker was in jail in the first place. Yeah. Let me look real quick. Um... doesn't seem to say, and i got to look a little bit further, the text Pharaoh was angry with his two courtiers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody. So the notes Somebody else's anger. That's how I read it, right? So in the in the case of serpents, it's God's anger. In the case of uh, uh, Korach, it's God's anger. In the case of uh, Haman, it's the king's anger. And in the case of the baker, it's Pharaoh's anger. Um, you know, it's, I mean, but it, but it interestingly does not say. Um, uh, Right. The, the commentary here in the eighth line says, the details being irrelevant to the narrative are ignored. My guess is if we were, my guess is if we were to look in the midrash, they might have some sense of, uh, of, of what the, uh, uh, of what the, uh, what the offense was. Um, uh, so, but yeah, but we, you know, we don't know other than, you know, other than, um, you know, we have a sort of indication about the, the baker's character in that story. So um, the first, the um, the the cupbearer, uh, you know, says to uh, says to Joseph that um, uh, uh, that um, uh, you know. So it's the the cupbearer is um, is distraught, and uh, and Joseph goes over to them and says, "Why do you appear so downcast?" Um, and they said, we had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said, you know, surely God can interpret. Tell me your dreams. And so the cupbearer goes first. And 
Joseph has a positive interpretation of his dream. And then we hear about the, about the baker. The chief baker saw how favorably he had interpreted. Uh, uh, he said to Joseph, in my dream, similarly, so he starts telling him his dream. In other words, he has this, um, uh, that, that feels like a window into his, his character, sort of like, uh, um, a, 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 um, a, maybe chutzpah is a good word, but it's sort of like haughtiness, um, an assumption um, about you know how things would be good for him uh, or should be good for him, um, which which you know we we don't know what the nature of his offense was, but maybe was related to it. And I would say that it feels like uh, it, it that that's sort of like you know if I were to look at. Korach and, and Haman, and what I know of the snake, I would say that that seems to be a commonality between them, and so I might want to apply that to the baker too, and so therefore say that that's true of all of them, and that the and that the uh, the essence of the snake's problem, according to this midrash, was uh, was was uh, was his arrogance uh, or haughtiness uh, or or or. or uh, for lust for power, um, which I mean, of course, all that's you know sort of rooted in a feeling of in, of inferiority, of insecurity. Um, but in that reading, I might look at the verse that says that the serpent was more clever than all the other creatures in the garden, uh, or the, uh, all the other creatures that God had made, and uh, and read that uh, as not including the human beings. And that to understand the serpent's motivation as wanting to dispossess the human beings, right? Wanting to, right? He's like, they're, they're the chief rival, right? In, in Game of Thrones language, right? That, uh, you know, the snake is, is uh, Cersei and, the, uh, and, the, and Adam and Eve are, are uh, Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I keep trying. I keep trying. Um, <laughs> can't fault the guy for trying. Okay. So, but no. So they're the chief rivals, right? Uh, they're the only. You know, uh, he's not at their level, right? He's the chief of all the beasts, but they're like on the. They were created last on the top of the food chain, whatever. And he wants to. And he wants to knock them down from their perch. So wouldn't he be angry when they were created? Because if he was the top. Well, what's interesting is that in Genesis chapter 2, the animals are created after the human beings. But in Genesis chapter 1, it's the other way around. Um, I, I, but I don't know. Uh, I, I, um, so either, yeah, he's created first, and then God creates it, you know. It's like, I, I have my first child, but then I have a second child. He's even better than the, than the first child. Um, uh, or, or he's created second. And, you know, wondering, you know, why it isn't the case that, you know, first is the worst and second is the best, right? It's like, it's like, I came after, I should be a step up, but I'm still not uh, top dog, uh, top snake. Um, you know, so this is, I think, an interesting lens to put on the story um, is that, you know, the, uh, the, the, the snake's motivation here is a, is a, is a desire for power, uh, position, status. Um, which would be the truth, certainly true of Korach, and certainly true of Haman. Uh, it's hard to know about the baker. I mean, it could be, you know, it could be that the baker, you know, uh, 
was uh, planning a coup d'etat against the pharaoh, you know? Um, that would certainly land him in jail and get him executed. Um, but yeah, we'd have to look into that and see what the what the reason is. Um, any other thoughts about this, Midrash? Should we move on? All right, let's let's move on. Okay, so now we're gonna get the uh, um, the the conversation between the woman uh, and the snake. Okay, I'll just read it in Hebrew first. Okay, so the woman says to the snake, we are able to eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden. And from the tree, uh, but from the tree uh, that is in the middle of the garden, God said, do not eat from it, and do not touch it, or you will die. So, a couple of things about what she says there. Um, she's partially right about that uh, in that statement. Uh, there, there are two trees in the middle of the garden, if you remember correctly, from, uh, from uh, Genesis chapter 2, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. So God didn't say, you must not touch the tree in the middle of the garden. You must, he's, God said, you must not touch, or you must, must not eat from one of the trees in the middle of the garden. So she's got that wrong, either deliberately or not. And the other is that, uh, that God never said, don't touch it. God just said, don't eat from it. Right? So now, you know, she's, the, the snake has kind of trapped her because the snake sort of opened with something that she clearly knew to be false. But she added information or changed information about the commandment, which can give the serpents an opening to sort of cast aspersions on the on the command, nature of the commandment itself. God gave the commandment to Adam and not to her. Maybe she just didn't get the word. Right, that's also true. We. How does she know? Right. To say this to the serpent. Yeah, well, we we don't know because it, the text never says to us that Adam repeated this uh, information to his wife. Now, if you, you could follow the line of reasoning that, uh, that when uh, God creates the woman out of Adam's rib, that was actually splitting uh, uh, them in two. The woman had already been created. She just wasn't an independent being at that point, uh, in which case she would know this information. Presumably, uh, you know, somewhere off stage. Uh, Adam told her the information uh, because she's held to account for it uh, in in the punishment, which would seem, you know, unfair if she didn't know about it. Um, but yeah, but but we don't know whether or not she knows. Right, but I mean, it, we assume it's imputed to Eve. It's never said that it's that it's no, communicated no, to her. No, yeah, lots of things are said. Yeah, yeah. The one thing that I find most remarkable about the snake, the serpent, is I never met a snake that can speak. Mm-hmm. You never met a snake that can speak. Oh, I don't think anyone has. Right. You know, what's, and what's what's interesting about uh, about this, you fast forward to the to the end of the story. Uh, if memory serves, uh, God doesn't take away the snake's power of speech. God takes away the snake's power of walking. Um, which seems like a strange punishment. I actually never thought about that. Um, 
But it seems like the nature of the crime for the snake is is uh, is his ability to speak, uh, or is the way he uses his speech. I think that's the strongest argument why it's metaphor. Sure. Yeah. What metaphor for what? Right. Yeah, that's the question. Yeah. And I haven't oh. found out though. Well, she certainly knew. She certainly knew something. She just, if this is what she knew, she was incorrect, at least, or partially correct, right? Um, Because there were two trees in the middle of the garden. She says we're not allowed to eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, and God never said you can't touch it, right? So she's partially correct here. Um, uh, So. So she heard it wrong. Right. Um, so, or, or, right. Um, okay, so that's what she says. The snake, it, it also, you know, God says about the tree, uh, for on the day that you eat from it, you will die. Um, so, th- which, which to me, by the way, is, is not saying what... That's also a a way in which I think Eve gets wrong, in a sense, is I think that that what God is saying there is that you will incur the death penalty for eating from that tree, not that you were previously immortal and eating from that tree will make you mortal. Um, Anyway, the serpent answers, uh, you most certain the snake says to the woman, "You most certainly will not die." Ki yodea Elohim ki v'yom achalcha mimenu v'nifkechu enechem v'item ki Elohim yodei tovara. For God knows that on the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God or like the gods who know good and evil. And so the woman saw that the tree was good for eating, and it was beautiful, pleasing to the eyes, and that it was uh, pleasing as, uh, as, uh, uh, as, as a way of uh, deriving uh, um, uh, wisdom. Uh, and she took from its fruit and she ate it and she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate and what's also interesting about that last bit of information is that she may have been wrong about the commandment but it seems like her husband was standing with her when the snake is talking to her um so if she were incorrect, the husband could have, you know, the man could have piped up and said, actually, honey, you know, like, that's, that's not what God said. Uh, or he could have said back to the snake, you know, that, that's, God didn't say that we couldn't eat from it because God didn't want us to become knowledgeable. God said we couldn't eat from it because God will kill us if we eat from it. Um, but, uh, but the man is silent in this whole, in this whole business. Um, but he follows her. Yes, right. Yeah. It's always a man's fault. Um, you know, and, and, the, and the the serpent adds information here that we didn't have before, uh, which you know, may have been implied by the 
by the title of the tree, it's you know, the 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 it's a dot tovarah, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, and a little bit later, God says something that seems to corroborate this, but not yet. Um, but here, you know, the snake adds this piece of information that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, uh, who uh, who knows good and evil. Now, you know what's what's uh, what's interesting about this. So if you think of actually in the uh, um, through the uh, through the lens that I offered before, is that if you if, if this is all a if this is all in the kind of like dynamic of power struggle, that the snake wants the human's position, and so his argument to the humans is, you won't be demoted, you're going to be promoted when you eat from this tree. But we're all going to move up because of this, right? Um, and and so it's it's possible, I think, that the uh, that what's alluring to the human beings about eating from the tree is the is the possibility of 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 uh, of, uh, of of elevating their position. But then they were taken already. They were supposed to be completely right. They didn't know anything. Yeah. Says who? What do they know? Yeah. How do you know they don't know? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Um, we said you're good. They used the word bad here, but we know that they were. All we know about them is that they were is that they were naked and or, or maybe or maybe they were clever uh, and they weren't ashamed of it. Uh, with you know either they weren't ashamed of being clever or they weren't ashamed of being naked. Um, but we know that Adam is intelligent enough to name all of the animals. Um, which you know you have to have, I, I think, some kind of discernment to be able to name things. Yes, he does know that. Yeah. But the snake, but the snake is here arguing that God only told you not to do that because God is threatened by you. How can God be threatened by the creature? Himself? Uh. Well, I don't know. I mean, I have kids. <laughs> uh, no, I mean that, that's a, that's the. I mean, you know, there's the sort of like whole thread of literature. I recognize that that you know it's a little bit different when you're talking about God, but you know, like, but but uh, but there's a sort of uh, pervasive anxiety that your creations will overtake you. That you know, it's like that your children will. Uh, overtake you, you know. It's the whole plot of the Terminator movies, right? That like you create a, you create an artificial intelligence. We we lost that metaphor too. Uh, that analogy too. Um, Frankenstein, okay. Uh, you like create this thing and then you can't control it. You destroy him too. <laughs> um, so. Um, Funny thing. I mean, interesting here. Adam is as ominous as the witness to everything. God spoke to Adam. Adam's listening as the serpent speaks to Eve. Now, who's the dummy here? Hey, do we know that? Well, we, we don't. It's strong. It's implied because it says in the last verse that she ate and gave it to her husband who was with her. Yeah. How do you know he was with her? It just says, it says, but, uh, so she gave it also to her husband who was with her. And so look at the last verse. She gave also to her husband with her. Uh, now, you know, okay, so you, you could... 
serpent? Yeah, it's hard. It, it's, un, it, un, it's ambiguous. It's ambiguous. Um, uh, but, uh, um, you know, so yeah, I mean, you could, it's always the case, I think, that like, because the text is a little bit ambiguous, you could say, okay, if you were directing this scene, how would you block it? You know, who would you have present in, in, on stage? It depends what your goal is. Yeah. Right, so what are you trying to communicate through it, right? The last sentence says, and, and she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband. I mean, she could have eaten and then walked over. Right. Right, that's right. That's right. He might not even known what she was given. Uh, that's right. That's right. Um, so that's one. That's right. So, so I guess like you know. So what would what would uh, um, what would the moral of that story be? Right. What would be different if he was there and ate, and if he wasn't there and ate? You know, listen, I mean, another another piece of that is all Adam needs to know is that Eve didn't die from eating it, right? Because Or didn't, you know, didn't get struck with a lightning bolt when she ate it. It means to die here. It seems like, you know, it seems like what God says initially is, uh, on the day that you eat from it, you will die. Um, so, you know, uh, so, what you know, that... that it implies that that God's going to punish you with death if you eat from it. No. Maybe, not Maybe not immediately. That's true. Um, you were start dying. Well, we know that he went. You were start they dying. both ate, and they didn't die at that instant. Right. But you were start dying. I mean, so do you mean that they, Adam and Eve, they were like they were not in a limbo? I mean, you know, they were just probably thinking. I'm not sure that the fruit gives them sophistication. I mean, they knew they may have known that they were naked. They just weren't ashamed of it. So I don't know if that's sophistication or um, or like a, a sense of um, um, a sense of guilt, right? Um, when you're naked, you just don't you don't even know clothes. You don't know what clothes are. What? Who says? You were naked. Yeah, that doesn't mean you don't know what clothes are. It just means you. It, it, I mean, it could mean you don't know what clothes are. It could just mean you don't want to wear clothes. Yeah. Really? Well, the animals. Oh, really? Yeah, they have right. Well, how would they like because if the animals had no clothes? How would they? Exactly. I, I don't know. I mean, I. You don't make make clothes for them, for them because they didn't have clothes. God made a clothes for them after they were pale. Yeah. But before they were naked and they didn't have clothes, so they didn't know what clothes were. I, I think that that's an assumption that they don't know what clothes are. I mean, I think that they that that uh, you know, I mean, they, they they feel the sensation of cold or, or, or exposure, right? So, like, I mean, they're, they're human beings. So, I, I don't see the only what I'm saying is I don't see any indication in the text that they uh, that they don't know what clothes are, uh, uh, and so 
uh, and so aren't wearing clothes because because they they don't know what that is. the um, the midrash that we looked at last week suggested that the verse that said God made them clothes out of uh, skins or whatever actually should have come immediately after the verse that said they were naked, um, so that in by the time they ate from the tree, they already were clothed. They already uh, like the 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 um, the knowledge of their nakedness is something else. But it's not um, uh, uh, what 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 changes about them um, is their is their sense of shame. Right. I thought there was an earlier passage where they recognized their nakedness and were ashamed and covered themselves. That's after the that's after the tree. So. I don't know, why not? Well, there's no indication that they have clothes. But why do we wear clothes? We wear clothes because of heat and cold. We wear clothes to sumptuary to impress other people. Um, why would they need that? It seems as if they didn't they had all that they needed in here. Um well I mean I don't think Eve was gonna show her off show up to Adam her new green suit or something. Why not? Why would she do that? Why not? <laughs> because there was no need to. How do you know? <laughs> What's Eden then? Um, Eden's a place with, with, with lots of good trees to eat from I don't, I, and, and a bunch of rivers. I don't know. I mean, it's a... Uh, um, <laughs> the question is like whether it's a magical place or whether it's not. I mean, the, but I don't know what that necessarily has to do with whether or not that they needed or wanted clothing. I like to think of raises another question, and that is the relationship between the man and the woman. I, I chose those words. Is it man and wife or man and woman? Are they married? Yeah. You always have to do your wife tells you. She said, "Eat this." Um. Well, I, so, I mean, to the same point about how do they know what clothes are, how do they know what marriage is, right? Um, so the, the text implies that they got married, right? So if you uh, look back at, uh, uh, we, we skipped over these verses in, in the Midrash, but if you look back in, in chap, chapter 2 when, when the woman is created, just pull it up. Um, So the Lord God cast a deep sleep upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that spot. And the Lord God fashioned the rib that he had taken from the man into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, or shall be called woman, for from man she was taken. Hence a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, so that they become one flesh. What? Clings to his wife. Clings to his wife, right. Um, so, you know, now, for wife there, uh, Ishto, or Isha, his, Ishto is his wife, yeah, his woman. Um, but there, contextually, it's pretty clear that it's talking about a wife. Um, it's just, it's, that's a, that's a sort of like, you know, a, uh, and the moral of the story is, you know, that, uh, that, that, right. The moral of the story is now people get married, right? It doesn't necessarily say that they got married, but, um, so I don't know. It's, it's ambiguous in the text, whether, uh, whether Isha here means his wife. Sometimes it means, certainly it means woman, right? So, 
but but Tomer Haisha at the beginning of this uh, verse, uh, verse two. But Tomer Haisha, the woman said, right? Um, uh, uh, you know, she's she's Haisha in all this. She hasn't been given the name Chava yet, Eve, um, and uh, um, you know, but. Uh, um, I, I'm not sure whether or not they were they considered themselves husband and wife here. I don't think they were married at all. Marriage is a legal term, either from a religious point of view or for civil. Well, One time they were merged for many years. Wait a minute, though. Later in the Bible, there are many references to men and their wives. Oh, of course. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we're in Eden. Right. <laughs> um. Entirely upon being in Eden. Yeah. If they were married, who married them? <laughs> uh, according to the Midrash, God did. So there's certain. Well, there's so many 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 I don't get the answer to that. Uh, Why does marriage have to, have to require an officiant? Yeah. An officiant. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that in in American civil law, I mean it's probably state by state. I think we're, but, I think we're a little past that though. It certainly does in the Court. Yeah. Court. yeah. <laughs> it's true. Um, Jewishly, Jewishly, it does not require an officiant, although it does require witnesses. Exchange of vows again, right. but it's a legal matter. Yeah, the law had already been given. Right. Even the law had not been given. Well, anyway, no, I mean that's not true because uh, there's marriage before there's Torah, right? So there's marriage before there's a law dictating, you know, the, the how marriage is to be uh, uh, entered into and dissolved. Um, there's sort of social custom. Um, well, social custom, yes, but yeah, but we only have two people. Right, there's no right, there's no society. Yeah, um, uh, this is a very special place. Right, and and I think that that's you know that's also a function of clothing is is sort of like social norms, right? Um, is you know the uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not adhering, um, conforming, conforming to social norms. Uh, so, you know, since there's no society, there's no social norms, and the social norms in the garden, you know, everybody's naked. Um, uh, and, and that might be why they're not ashamed, because, you know, why should they be? Right? And so what, 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 what they... What's, they can be ashamed in front of God. They are... When they fashion the fig leaves into... They are, right, they are after they eat from the tree, they're ashamed. Uh, so that seems to be the difference between the pre-tree and post-tree, is the, is the institution of shame.